I, uh, I wouldn't call myself a horticulturalist. I, wouldn't even, I probably wouldn't even call myself a green thumb. I would probably refer to myself as a, a tinge of green thumb. Um, I do, I have plants that are growing and they live. So that's why I call myself like a, a tinge of green thumb. Um, my wife is um, doing really well now with her indoor plants uh, before she was able to kill anything. Um, now, now these things are surviving. She has her rotational process of watering once a week, which is good. Um, and, and she's happy as Larry. We have things that are alive. But unfortunately, you know, I have this, this big pine tree at my front. Well, I have multiple pine trees in front of my house, which have been, oh, have been... It was all good in theory. Um, but they haven't quite worked out as, as much as I, I thought they would. Uh, they're, they're still looking good. They're still getting there. Some of them are a little bit raggy-taggy. But uh, I recently lost one again. And uh, for some reason, it just went from this bright, beautiful green color to this pale green color without much warning. And then it slowly went from pale green color to brown. And, and I decided, I was like, do I leave it? Or do I just pull it out? And I, and I spoke to a friend of mine who's a, who's a landscaper. And I, I should have spoke to JJ, but then I didn't, I didn't get to them quick enough. I had I got this whole concept, like okay, I'm going to, just before it changed color to brown, and it was in this pale green color, I, I got into it. I, I, I did some burr holes around it to check what was happening in the soil. And I put some fertilizer and some fresh soil in there, hoping that that would bring some life. And I gave it a fresh water and I was like, I don't understand what's going on with this tree. It's not, not doing too well. And then we're brown. And I was like, I've lost. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do when a tree's dead. Uh, I haven't learned how to bring a tree back to life. Uh, I prayed. I even prayed. God, save my tree. But it, 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 was, it was gone. It was not a Lazarus moment. It was, it was dead. And, the, and this week I decided, it kind of looks a little bit unsorted. You come into our house and you have green trees and the middle of it is one brown tree. I decided it's time for it to go and I cut it and then I wiggled it out and broke it. And, and funny enough, as I had a quick conversation with Jay Day this morning, its taproot had gone in a weird direction, but then apparently that can sometimes be normal. But I was very disappointed. The tree didn't have, it didn't have any trouble coming out. It was dead. It cracked very easily, uh, which was very disappointing. But sometimes you can't always see what's wrong with something that's happening underneath. I decided that it was, it was not a fact. It was not about watering. It was not a fact that there weren't any nutrients in the ground. Something was happening underneath the ground that it was not making it very happy. And so it decided, I've had enough, I'm dead. And, and sometimes that can be what happens. You can't always see what's happening underneath the surface. And then all of a sudden, the visible is revealed. It's sometimes like the foxes that will spoil the vines and the little things that can cause the big problems. Leaving the little issues like little sins unchecked will cause us big issues down the track. It's like leaving the little issues in a marriage or a relationship. If you leave them long enough before long, those little issues become 
big issues. And then now you're dealing with big issues and trying to work out where on earth they came from. And if you get too comfortable in those, that's where dramas come. What happens oft times is, is when we have little things in our lives, people have a tendency to follow suit of, of different patterns. And the first thing they do is they begin to pull away from the crowd. They pull away and subconsciously why we do it is because we're trying to hide our deficiencies. You know, today most people don't know their neighbours. Most people. Most people keep distance between other people and it's because we're, we're afraid of people finding out that we are human. We're desperate to hide those shortcomings, those shortfallings, and so we withdraw so no one can see them. But I want to let you know in something, here's the truth, right? This is dead set, this is absolutely 100% true. See, we might be able to hide what's wrong from other people, but we can't hide what's wrong from God. We can't hide the little things, we can't hide what's underneath the soil from God. God sees everything. It's also one of the reasons why sometimes we withhold fellowship, why we pull away, why we keep away, and why we don't generally want to communicate on much of a death level. I know Melinda and I, when we, when we, got, when we were dating, um, we, we did premarital course. And if you've ever done our premarital course, it was, it's, it's about getting deeper and having conversations about things you may not have talked about. Because most people, you know, like, I know Jono and Jennifer only got married, so they're, they're nowhere near this because they're, you know, they're quite mature people and they're, they're good. But uh, I've, I've spoken to some young, engaged people who were getting married and they have, you know, the, the lolly aisles for their, for their partner and they just think the bee's knees and there's nothing wrong and that perfect's perfect, Right. And you talk, oh, no, this, is per- this person's perfect. They don't have any faults, and I just love them the bits, and oh, it'll be all good. And, you know, the fairy tale wedding, you know, the fairy tale life. Um, oh, yeah, we'll have no money problems, and everything will just work out awesome, and, you know, and then we'll have some kids, and they'll just be perfect. And, and, and you can hear the giggles already because we all know that's not true. Um, relationships are difficult. I know when we, when, like I was saying before, when we did the pre-marriage course, there was one, one time we, we went to uh, our pastor. He was doing our wedding and we had we'd done this course and it's a really good course. And The first question he asked when we walked in, because we, we drove together, we walked in, he says, when was the last time you had an argument? And we're like, in the car on the way here? <laughs> There was no hiding, he was blunt, and we, we just had to be honest, I suppose. And then we started talking about what was in that argument. and It was a fun conversation, wasn't it? Because it was talking about some other things that were a little bit personal and stuff. And it was just about unearthing all the stuff that we don't like to share to other people. We have this persona, and society actually almost teaches us, it ingrains in us this, this concept that we need to be perfect. You know, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on whatever else the th- latest thing is that people are on, is just perfection. You know, people wake up in the morning, go put makeup on, then go back to bed and take a photo. Oh, just woke up. You know, 
I mean, I don't know how many filters there are for, for, for the cameras now on your phone where you can alter them and change them so people just look perfect. It removes all your blemishes, you know? Removes all, your, uh, all the bits and pieces. And I, I will be very careful with how far we go because sometimes it can be a bit personal. But, um, you know, it's amazing how many times we fake things in order to give a persona or a, an image of perfection. You know, we, we look in, look at all the famous people and we think their lives are magnificent because they're driving all these sports cars and living in the big houses and shopping at certain shops and whatever else. But then when you look in their lives and you unpack them, then you realise they're not perfect, they're falling apart. I mean, I always look at, and, and I'll speak very carefully on this one, like there was a famous actor many, many, many years ago who we probably all know who was a great comedian and made everyone else laugh, kept the joy in everyone else's life and told jokes and sometimes a little bit crude and did movies. And all of a sudden, he commits suicide and you, fall, you find out that he's been an alcoholic and his marriage is in trouble and his kids don't really like him that much. And all of a sudden, everything starts coming out. And this is all the stuff that we try and hide and suppress and no one actually knows. It's the reason why we don't necessarily like to connect too well on certain levels with people. I suppose it's also a reason why some marriages don't work out because as long as the longer you live with someone, the less, it's, the less your ability is to hide things. You know, people, your marriage, your relationships with your partner is, oh, well, everything's exposed, nothing Nothing is kept from them. Everything. And you can hide things for so long, but everything gets brought out. That becomes very interesting when you start talking about church. You know, we have a, we have a great little church here. And it's great because of the people who are part of it. It's not the size of the church. It's not how many people come to church. It's not the building, even though the building's great. It's not the ministries within the church. It's not the people that serve. It's not even me or Mel. It's all about the strength which comes from the people and the representation of Jesus in their lives. And there's a certain liberty that comes through Christ, a freedom that we, get, we draw from and we can take into our challenges that we get from Jesus and from that connection, from that relationship. You know, there's powerful things that can happen in life. And oftentimes it comes in the smallest and smallest of packages. Sometimes the biggest things in life aren't the best, it's the little things. You know, it's like when you go on holidays and you, you actually get to stop for a second and you unwind and you, oh, it's nice to stand outside with the breeze blowing and the sun shining. The little things. It's nice to have to water some plants that are actually surviving and, and living. You know, it's nice to see, oh, I picked a lemon from a lemon tree that I grew, you know? Or my daughter raids our blueberry plant <laughs> plant trees. And you I go, Oh, I found some more blueberries and the next day they're gone. Because she has picked them and Mel and her fight over our blueberries. Even though I've put in all the hard work. <laughs> I'm thinking about putting a big fence around it. 
and then electrifying it. No. <laughs> but I, I, I'm waiting for one of my plants to fruit. It's a native raspberry. So I have big expectations for that. And then I have bigger expectations that as soon as it goes to fruit, it will be stripped. <laughs> very, very quickly. It was a shade of red. No, no, you've got to wait till it's fully ripe and red. Anyway. But it's interesting because there's so many different stories in the Bible where the small things are important. In, in Judges chapter 6, Gideon was used to free the Israelites from the Midianites. And he came from the, he was the youngest in his family, the smallest family in his tribe, and the tribe was the smallest tribe in the nation of Israel, and God used him. And God used him because he surrendered to the will of God. That's it. David was used to bring liberty to Israel from Goliath, yet wasn't even considered worthy enough to stand before Samuel by his family. The twelve disciples were used to spread the gospel through the known world, yet they were called unschooled, untrained men of Galilee. And there was a saying that said, nothing good comes out of Galilee. See, when I look at this room and all the people in it and all the great people that make up this great church, I see so many different things. I see the amount of impact and the possibilities and the potential that can come from people just in this room. I've had conversations with many of you and there are more conversations to have and I get little glimpses of possibilities of what can take place. And I get excited. I have conversations with people of all the things that God has put inside of us and the ideas and the dreams that we have. And then people connect with those and how can we help? How can we make this take place? See, I believe totally, 100%, you're here not by mistake. That you have been drawn here, brought here, called by God to be here. But whether you take up the challenge of listening and hearing what God has for you and moving into those things is not up to me. I cannot make you do anything, nor do I even want to make you do anything. It is going to be completely and utterly up to you. Completely. So what are you going to do? See, God has this way of even though we think we're in control of guiding us into the right place at the right time. Nothing happens by accident and sometimes we often can take the credit for it when it wasn't really us. Paul said that we plant the seed but God causes the growth. And sometimes we, we take the credit for the growth but it wasn't even us. God moves and changes and directions in all for different purposes and different reasons in order to bring you about into a certain place. And even though God doesn't make you do anything, he can swiftly or inconsequentially guide you into a certain place without even you fully being aware of what's taking place. Like there's so many people that have come to Yarrabilba from all different places, whether it be Sydney, Melbourne, South Africa, Colombia, Maybe even, well, we came from Waterford West. So that was a long drive. <laughs> and there's people who come from Nepal, you know. 
New Ze- oh, that's right. Oh, I f- almost forgot that that was another country because <laughs> half the New Zealanders are here. But, you know, we welcome you anyway. And then there's people from who've got... I mean, you think about it, right? Like you're here and you can trace back your lineage to another country. God was working back then to bring you here. Like God has this way and I can't even fully grasp or comprehend it or even explain it to the fullness, but God works in mysterious ways because his plans are endless and he knows what he needs to accomplish and all these, look, I, it's like going, oh, I know this guy, he's, he's going to be Nav and he's going to be from Nepal and I need him to be in Yarra Bilver at, at roughly about this time in 2023, so how do I get him here? And then I'll orchestrate and I'll move things in place in order to get you here. This is how God works. I mean, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. You can't run a marathon until you start one. Not that I run marathons. But do you understand? And so when I start looking at this scripture that I have for today, which is, Praise the Lord, all nations, Lord him. All peoples, for your for his loving kindness is a great sorry is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. It sounds so weird when you've just understood what I've just said beforehand, and then try and comprehend what that passage of scripture even remotely means. But God is moving regardless of what he's what we think he's doing. He moves in the shadows when we're not seeing it, when we don't understand it. He's working on our behalf even when we don't comprehend it. And sometimes when he's working, we're sitting there going, God, do something. And he is, I am. You just need to wait. Now there are four points that I can draw out of this passage of Scripture, which is quite interesting because the Scripture is only very, very tiny. This is the whole psalm. Like there are no air verses to this psalm. This is the shortest psalm in the Bible. Actually, this is the shortest chapter in the Bible. And two chapters later, it's the longest chapter. Psalms 119. But this mighty little chapter of two single verses is very impactful. See, God is a loving, gracious God whose desire is that every one of his creations know him. Even those who try and deny him, even those who pretend that he's not real, even those who find cause and effect to not follow him. God is working. But if I break this passage of scripture down, there are four important privileges that we get from it, that we get from God. And they're privileges. The first one is found in verse 1, which is worshipping God. We get to worship God. See, there is a reason, a logic that we have for worshipping God, and it starts with the understanding of what we were saved from and what we have been saved to. I am so very gracious to God for all that He has given me. Like He saved me, opened my eyes, and exposed to me all the things that I had done that were not what he wanted me to do, and that what separates me from the love of God. He is a gracious and loving God who spared us from ourselves to purpose. He gives us a future hope 
and the hope of right now. And we worship God because of who he is. And this passage starts and ends with the same phrase. Praise the Lord. That's a bookend. And if you don't understand that God is in every passage of Scripture, in every bit of writing in the book, then you haven't fully understand who our God is. Like I've had discussions with people who argue, oh, but these people are different, they say the different things and nothing, the Bible contradicts. It doesn't actually contradict itself. It's just this level of ignorance that comes with it. But throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's the same person. It's God. It's the same story. It's just done by different people, different eyewitnesses. It's like if we witness a situation that might happen out right in front of us, in this room you might get 30 different opinions on what happened. 30 different perspectives on who or what took place just outside. And that's what the Bible is. It's different perspectives of how God moved in different people's lives and who God is written down for us to enjoy. I mean, the words, praise the Lord, it should be the mark of every believer. That's what we should be doing. Praising the Lord and worship Him. And worship isn't just about singing. Although it's nice the fact that we have uh, musicians and singers who can sing in tune. Because it covers up some of the rest of us. Right? My, I was singing the other day in the car. And my son said, Dad, you need to stop. <laughs> I said, what? Can't I just sing? He said, no, it's pretty bad. So I know I wasn't given, given the gift of singing. But that doesn't mean I can't sing. And of course, every father knows that that is just a call to sing louder. To embarrass your children. It's part of our it's their passage into adulthood to be embarrassed by their parents. That first time praise is used in that first scripture is the word halal. Not halal, halal. Which gives us the word hallelujah. And the second time the word praise is used, which is in the end bit, is the word shavah, which means to boast. So when we praise the Lord, we tell him of the greatness and we brag on him. We worship him with the highest praise of hallelujah and then we tell him how great he is to us by simply saying praise the Lord. Worship and praise are the highest occupations to which we can dedicate our voices to, which we can occupy our eternity. If you want to know what will happen in eternity, you'll be praising the Lord. You won't be doing the gardening. You won't have to worry about the house. You'll be praising the Lord. The second point to this is sharing the gospel. Sharing our faith is often looked at as difficult, embarrassing, or simply scary. But really what we're actually supposed to do is live out the gospel. We live it out in our lives every single day, revealing what God has already done in us, speaking it out as as we come into agreement in our marriages and our lifestyle with our words. Meaning that I don't necessarily need to go up to somebody, although it does helpful, it is helpful these days, in sharing the gospel directly to them. The gospel should be being lived out through my life. 
People should literally be going and understanding that there is something different about me just because of what he has done in me. That word nations translates to the Gentiles. The name given to non-Jewish people. And the word people refers to the diverse nationalities in the world. So you'll find the phrase all the earth and all the people frequent in this book of Psalms. And the Jewish people were meant to live separate from the Gentiles. And God called Abraham to find a nation that would bring blessing or found a nation to bring blessing to all the earth. Because that's the original thing that God said. God called Abraham to be a blessing to all the earth. Unfortunately, Israel failed. And they became guilty of imitating the Gentiles instead of illuminating the Gentiles with God's truth. We become too much like the world instead of bringing the world to know who God is. God chose the Jewish people, the Hebrews, to bring the knowledge of the true God, the Scriptures and the Saviour to all known world. Today, we need to carry the light of the gospel to the whole world. That's part of the mandate of Christianity. We get saved and then we're supposed to share it through our lives. If we are a worshipping people, praising and worshipping the Lord, then we will be a witnessing people, telling others who he is because of what he's already done in me. The third point is there will be a dependence on God. When called from our lives of the world, there grows and develops the understanding to fulfill what God has called us to. See, God puts you on this planet to do something. Not to exist, not just to live, not just to enjoy everything around you, but to actually do something. He put everything in you that you need to fulfill that. Plus, you need to depend on him. Because what he's called you to do is bigger than what you're able to do just by yourself. And we need to have a dependence on God. See, we can easily forget the mercies of God, the saving knowledge of the actions of Jesus, and we can forget that we're saved by grace, not by our actions. Because we like to remember by our hands. I planted that tree, and apparently I killed it too, so I had to rip it out. It looked good while I was alive but I didn't cause the plant to grow. And we need to come to that place where we understand that we would still be in darkness without him. The Jewish leaders became proud of being God's chosen people and they began to look down on others and they refused to deal with the Gentiles and they referred to them as dogs. God had called the Jewish people to reach out to all the known in the world and what had taken place just before Jesus had come was that they had become inward, too inward. That they put aside the Gentiles and the Samaritans and all the nations that surrounded them. They forgot about them or they didn't want anything to do with them and as I said, they referred to them as dogs. Today we can be guilty of the same thing. We can forget our communities that surround us. We forget, oftentimes, the reason why we are here. It's not to build a church. It's not to build houses. It's not to build a lifestyle and to marvel at all the great things that God gives us. 
But in order to understand that there is a purpose that is inside of us that God needs us to live out in order for his greater plan to take place. See, if we're humble before the Lord, we can be used to reach others. If we live by grace as a result of being saved in the same manner, then we're able to be used. A proud church is a weak church, and to joy the praises of man is to lose the blessings of God. And the church is not a building, it's the people. And the fourth one is resting on his divine assurance. See, we are people that live by faith, not by sight. And our faith means nothing without his faithfulness to us it's his faithfulness that actually endures forever we can always rest assured on his faithfulness that he will always always be there because he says that he will and he is not like man where he should lie but he is a man he is a god that never lies and if he says it he actually has to do it and you can actually call him back on his own word as did abraham on multiple times and say, but God, you said this, and hold him to his word. It's why we hold on to the promises of God, or we hold on to what God gives us. When he tells us something, when he imparts in something, we can actually hold on to those promises. But God, you said this. There have been many a times when God's given me a promise, and we've gone through different situations, and I've actually held those promises and said, God, but you said this, and you said this, and you said this, so this has to come about. See, when you translate that word truth or faithfulness, it means to be fired, not fired like you're fired from a job, right? To be unshakable. See, God's character cannot change. It cannot. God's promises will not change. It's not like us. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But sometimes we can hesitate to obey him when he abounds in faithfulness. When he abounds in all the things that we don't, we can hesitate for some reason. When God calls us to something, a task, a future, a hope, God is faithful to fulfill it through us. Like the very purpose that God has planned inside of you, there is a purpose for it, there is a reason for it, and God is faithful to bring it out. And the only person who can stop it coming about is you. To rely on our faith is to put faith in faith. <laughs> but to rely on God's faithfulness is to put faith in the Lord. Why do we put our faith in a God who will save us to eternity with him, but doubt whether God will use us to fulfill his purposes? Why do we have faith in that when we make that decision for Jesus, when we give our lives to him, that he is faithful to uphold that, or maybe we hold on to the promise that our eternity will be with him, but we sometimes neglect or we, are, we doubt whether or not God will bring about his purposes in our lives. Like what good, what purpose does God have in bringing you to a certain point and then leaving you to it? When Daniel, we're talking about Daniel and Maximize, when Daniel was brought into the lion's den, what purpose, what purpose could be brought about if God had neglected Daniel? That Daniel had been so faithful to his word and to holding, upholding to him, and when he got chucked in the lion's den, for God to abandon him at that point in time. 
What purpose could be brought out? Or perhaps we doubt whether or not we can be used at all. Perhaps we doubt whether or not God can take this wretched person or this person with imperfections, this person without the inability to do certain things, oh, I don't know how to do that, and change them and move in them and bring them into a new place that actually uses them to fulfill something that they thought was never possible. See, throughout the Bible, there are stories, factual stories. They're not just made-up stories. Where God used people, ordinary people, to achieve his purposes. Where God did extraordinary, three, uh, extraordinary things through ordinary people. God took Moses and took him on this wild ride to lead his people into the promised land. But every step had purpose. God took David, a small little shepherd boy who was discarded and brought him along this journey into this place to make him king. So what's the purpose that God has for you? Because you're not here by mistake. You're not. And if you are, I'm sorry. We can have ways to get that out of you. But I'm telling you, like, there's nothing wasted. Nothing is wasted. God doesn't make garbage. He doesn't. And the possibilities are actually endless. They really are. It just comes down to how much we can believe. How much can we have faith in God? How much can we hold on to what God has promised us or what God has wants to give us or promises us? How much can we hold on to those? How many of the passages of Scripture in the Bible can we grab hold of and go, this is what your word says? Because like I've said to a few people, What's, what's your dream? What's your dream? They tell me this dream. I said, okay, it's probably not big enough. Because God says in his word, he says, whatever you can think, whatever you can imagine, I can do exceedingly abundantly more than you can possibly imagine above that. Half the time well, the problem is we don't think big enough of what God can do. Because when you understand who your God is and when you understand what God actually wants to do through you, it becomes unfathomable of the possibilities and it just comes down to how much you can surrender, how much faith you can have and how much you can believe in what He wants to do through you. That's kind of scary. I remember when I first got started in ministry. I went to Mel... Within probably about a year, and I said, oh, I feel God's called me to start a church. And she's like, nope. <laughs> I don't want it. I was like, okay. It was, it was, it was, it was pretty firm. Let's put it that way. I'll put it nicely. Pretty firm. Yeah, <laughs> shut down. So I took that, and I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do with it now, God? I, I didn't add them. The woman you gave me, God. <laughs> and then I said, all right, God, if this is supposed to happen, I'll put it on the shelf and it's yours. I'll surrender it. 
And then I just did what I was supposed to do and I was learning and we didn't really talk about it that much. Every so often I'd drop another seed and go, and then run. And then there was a time when it was just, it was the right season, the right time. God had spoken to you. And there was arguments on that side, not me. And we came to the agreement. Yeah. It, it's fascinating when I sit there and look at people in this place. Like the people who connected to this church. I'm like, oh my gosh. There are some times that God gives, gives me little things, little nuggets that I know about people. And then he tells me to shh. And I've seen different things on different people. I've seen different things in people. I'm like, God, we can do this and do this and do this. It's like, I know, but just not yet. Because God is orchestrating. God is moving. And sometimes it's about getting this right. And removing this so this can trump this. Because sometimes we overthink things. And we have to know and we have to follow with faith what God wants to do. And I marvel at sometimes when God has brought someone in and over a period of time, because I love watching this. This is, this is what keeps me going. is when I see what God can do in somebody just by them allowing God to move. And the journey that they go on, where they were when they first came in to a certain point in time, there they are now. And just watching God do what God does best. And it's like, hmm. The more you surrender, the more that journey goes. The more God will change you and the more God will move in you. I shouldn't say change you, but transform your thinking. Because our biggest problem is this. This. We don't understand the possibilities of God because of this. We define God because of this and we fail to understand that God is bigger than this. Like, do you understand how big Yarrabilba will be? Do you understand all the different things that will be in Yarrabilba? Do you understand that God wants this area? Like this is God's area. That God's wanted this for a long time and he's just looked and waited for somebody or perhaps he was orchestrating things because... It was ours. Like God wants to give things to his people that he knows will be good and wise stewards of it. That will build and develop and go, hey, not by my hand. It wasn't for me, it was for him. I'll do it for him. And in the meantime, we benefit from all the blessings and all the favor that come from it, but we're still working for him and we're moving for him and he's doing for his purposes. And that's how you get the words, well done and good, faithful servant. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're far from Him. Perhaps you've walked away. You know you need to put things right. You need to get back on the track. You need to put and make a fresh commitment to Him. Then what I'll do is I'll be down the front. And I'll welcome you and we'll talk and we'll have a chat. We'll have a conversation. But if you, if, you, if you want to know more of what God has for you, if you want to go on the journey with God and make that sort of commitment, I want it, God. I want what you have for me because otherwise it's pointless. 
I want to put you first. I want to do what you called me to do. I want to fulfill that purpose, the plan that you have for me. And let's go on a journey and let's work through it and teach me and guide me and direct me in all the processes that I need to go through so I can get to where you've called me to be and walk in all the fullness you have for me. Then why don't you stand and we'll come in agreement with each other and we'll pray. And you can stand right now where you're at and I'll pray because I'm standing because I want everything that God has for me. I don't want to leave one stone unturned. I don't want to get to, to eternity and go, oh, I missed it. Oh, I didn't open that box. It was more. The good thing is that uh, it's never too late. We're never too old. And their possibilities are endless. Father, I lift up every person here, Father. We stand in agreement because we want what you have for us. We want your purposes. We want your plans to come through us. We want to fulfill everything you've given us. We want to fulfill everything that you need to take place in this place. Father, we want to speak vision and de destiny. We want to speak hope and a future. We want to speak faith and creativity, strategies and ideas. Father, let us dream. Let us dream. Father, give us dreams and visions of the possibilities of our future, what you've called us to do, and then implant them, Father. Give us the ideas, Father. Let us remove our minds and our thinking and let us bring forth that which you have planned inside of us to bring out. Father, I speak life upon every single person, Father. I speak life into their destinies. I speak life into their futures. I speak life into their families. I speak life into their purposes. I speak life into the plan that you have for them. I speak life into the goals that you give them, the visions that you give them, Father. We speak, Father. We speak those. We speak into that, Father. We speak your mighty hand. We speak the name of Jesus over every single person in this place. Father, bring it forth. Bring it forth. Bring it forth. Bring it forth in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.